Okay. We are a go. Woo! How do I sound? How's my audio? You sound good. We're going to keep this podcast positive. So we're not going to talk about all the negative stuff. Okay. Sounds good? Sounds good. Okay. Well, aside from the world right now, Kenzie, I noticed you had a mishap today at your house with paint. (laughs) I did. What did you do? So since I'm home, I was like, okay, I'll do some of the painting that I've been putting off. So I have this stairway next to my kitchen that I was going to paint, and I wanted to paint it the same color as my kitchen. And my kitchen is blue, and uh, I painted it the wrong shade of blue. So you have, so your kitchen is like a dark, like a dark navy blue almost? Sort of, yeah. And then what you put on there looks more like a how do you just more of a purpley blue yeah definitely. so i had bought that color to do for my office and uh-huh. i did i painted my whole office and then i was like this is too close to the kitchen so i repainted my office a different color but we right. still had some of that left and greg got them mixed up so he thought that oh no that was the right color for the kitchen i also did touch-ups in the kitchen so there's so, yeah. random spots on the walls that just don't match no. But I found the other, I found the other uh, bucket of paint, and uh-huh. there's still like three quarters of a can left. So I think we'll have enough to do the the stairway and then do redo those little patches. There you go. That sounds good. But that was my adventure today, and then I was just like, okay, so I'm done with this. I washed all of the brushes and everything, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> That's super fair. I don't blame you. Yeah. But also, can I just say, though, that, like, I feel like I am made for quarantine. <laughs> you know what, though? Like, as as extroverted as I am, I love this. I'm like, like, yesterday was probably the most relaxing Sunday I've had in years because I wasn't worrying about going to work the next day. You said I mean, I every was Sunday. You said every because... Sunday is the worst for you. Yes, every Sunday is just anxiety ridden. I don't even get to enjoy my day off because I'm just so full of anxiety about work the next day. Probably wouldn't be so bad if I didn't hate my job so much. But yeah. I'm just like, you know what? I feel like I'm made for this whole staying home thing. I'm Hell cool yeah. with it. Hell Got yeah. Got groceries delivered. Oh my gosh. It was good. That, did that delivery service work for you guys then? Yeah. Awesome. So, so we did that. Uh, that's been my day so far. I'm sure I will start to get bored in a couple days, but for quarantine day one, so far, so good. Good. I think yeah. I overdid it. I went out back and I tried to pick up the yard while the weather was nice. Mm. And it was like sunny and gorgeous and everything, but there were like kids toys everywhere. And like kids toys that they left out before winter so I got like halfway through picking everything up and I was like nope no no I need my inhaler I need to lie down I need to I need to have a lie down yes for those of you not on our social media Amber uh, she doesn't have coronavirus but she does have pneumonia again or still again well still we don't know it's fine it's fine we originally were not going to release an episode this week but we decided that we would to put some positivity out in the world uh, yeah, you guys need positivity. Also, so do we. We do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kenzie, you really lit my fire when you told me that we made the charts. We did. We made, the, we made a chart. We I am made a chart. so proud. What did Woo-hoo. we get? We got 97th in what What was it? Social and something? 
Something like that. I don't remember. You just sent it to me. I'm gonna But look. it was on Spotify. So that's pretty cool. I'm so proud of us. Society and culture. Especially for we're just two normal girls who have no idea what we're doing. We're just and we mostly fun. do this for ourselves. So it's nice to know that people like it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Okay. So you have a story for me today? I do, but let's we do this every time. I'm oh, Amber. I'm Kenzie. We tell stories that are super wild. Yes, or interesting or spooky. Or random. Just, you know, fun stuff that you should Anything. know about. Yes. And we're into the rabbit hole podcast. Yeah. So the story I'm going to tell you today um, was featured on Drunk History. I love Drunk History. I got three or four minutes of a really good Drunk History episode and I just wanted more. Yes. I just, I just wanted more. I needed it. I, I craved it. So hopefully you might know casually about this story. You might not know the story at all. But what I'm going to tell you is about the femme fatale. I'm not going to give it away right away. Oh. But I'm going to tell you that she's called the femme fatale. Oh, I like it. I am already into it. I don't know why I am so drawn to women when it comes to the stories that we tell. And I think it's so often that their stories get kind of pushed under the rug or just not told or definitely not covered in schools. But man, there's a lot of wild women in history. Yes, I'm drawn to it too. This this old gal, she's she's going to make the history books. Ooh, ooh, okay. She has in her own way. I can't wait to hear okay. about her. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is the wild and oh-so-humble tale of a young woman named Margaretha Gertrudia Margrit McLeod. That's okay. a mouthful. We're going to be calling her Margaretha or Zella. Zella? Zell? Zell? I'm just going to say Zell was her father's name. Okay. She was born August 7, 1876. Ooh. In a town of Leeuwarden, Netherlands. Ooh. Yeah. We haven't done a Netherlands story yet, have we? Oh, wait. Yes, we did. The The eels. Oh, eel riots. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna travel a few places in this story. And Ooh, a few I'm excited. Familiar, a few familiar places too. Well, since we can't travel in real life, this will make up yeah. for it. <laughs> Yay. Margaretha was the eldest of four children of Adam Zell and his wife, Annette van der Mulen, and the only daughter, which may explain a lot later on in the story. So it's pretty normal so far, right? Even her upbringing, one could not complain. Her father owned a popular hat shop, made Ooh. successful business investments in the oil industry, and became affluent enough to give Margaretha a lavish early childhood that included exclusive schools until the age of 13. Hmm, nice. Yeah, so pretty nice so far. Mm-hmm. But this comfort would not last long, as you probably suspected. I did. I did suspect that. <laughs> Doth you suspect? I suspected <laughs> Her father's business sank, becoming bankrupt abruptly. Oh, no. Yeah. Her mother died only after a terrible divorce. Oh, no. Yeah. And was soon replaced by another woman with whom her father had become infatuated with. Ooh. Yeah. The family. I hate the word infatuated. Isn't it kind of just skeevy? Yeah. It's skeevy. It's That's just why... never good. I mean, I'm infatuated with Chris Evans, but that's okay. 
is it though <laughs> yeah yeah it is i was sending i was sending you pictures of his butt to cheer you up yes while we were on on our vacation it, that was wild i was like i know what'll do it did you see the pictures of him as hand sanitizers <laughs> don't make me laugh okay sorry okay sorry back to the infatuation with the other woman who's now like her stepmother the family quickly fell apart um margarita moved to live in with her godfather mr visser of sneak that's Ooh. the name of the s-n-e-e-k oh fun also in the netherlands there she studied to become a kindergarten teacher in linden and was seemingly content in this venture oh how sweet but difficulties seemed to follow her no matter where she land uh-oh when the headmaster began to flirt with her conspicuously <gasps> she was yeah like grossly she was removed from the institution by her furious godfather Ooh. Well, good, I guess. Yeah, but it wasn't actually known if she was in on it or like if they were doing like that, that professor kink or if she was it was unwanted attention. We don't know. Oh, okay. I just assumed it was unwanted. I mean, her godfather didn't want it for sure. (laughs) So he it was unwanted for him. Yeah. Um, After this, she traveled to stay with an uncle in the shore town of Hog, Netherlands. Mm. So what was a girl to do? No job, no family really, no money, and a deep, deep desire for something more. Thankfully for her, a Dutch colonel army captain was looking for a wife. And what was a man to do? Put out an ad in the newspapers, of course. Oh, snap. At 18 years old, Margrethe answered the advertisement in the Dutch newspaper placed by Rudolf MacLeod, who was living in what was then the Dutch East Indies that we now call Indonesia. Ah, but can you imagine placing an ad? Okay, one, placing an ad Uh in the newspaper for a wife and two, answering that ad and being like, yes, I will marry you. He He was 20 years older than her. And she was desperate to get out. Yeah, she just, he was a means to an end for her. Yeah. Um, Zell married McLeod in Amsterdam on July 11th, 1895, because YOLO. (laughs) Don't make me laugh because I still have my cough too. I'm so glad you laughed though. I hope other people do. You okay? So let's talk about your girl. Okay, she was finally on solid ground. She was like, yes. "Yes, I have a husband who's in a good position." What do you think she wrote to him? Like, "Hello, I'm interested in marrying you." I'm a sweet innocent. Here is my picture. Eighteen-year-old girl who wishes to to marry a well-to-do Dutch man. It's long been a dream of mine. <laughs> long since, <laughs> and I am soon to be on the shelf. What shall I do? Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what she sounded like. <laughs> yes. Okay, I believe it. <laughs> Thank okay, you. Okay, so she she married him. She's in the Dutch East Indies, which is Indonesia. Well, first, oh, the marriage enabled her because they're still in Austria at this point. The okay. marriage enabled her to move into the Dutch upper class, and her finances Ooh. were covered and secured together at this point the couple then moved to malang on the east side of an island in java in may maybe of- i should start searching the classifieds that's what i'm husband. saying put listen if you put ads out there that you want a wife guess what 
If you're somewhere fun. I don't think anyone wants to come to the U.S. right now. No, please don't. <laughs> you can take us, though. Can we? Yes, can we, please. Do, do we at this point qualify as refugees? If we go to another country, do you think we would qualify as a refugee? No. Norway no. thinks Norway thinks we're a third world country. <laughs> we are compared to them. That's what I'm saying. Could I not be a refugee? <laughs> okay. So anyway, in the higher <laughs> echelon of Dutch society. Mm-hmm. And in May of 1897, they move to an island in Java. Where's that? Um, it is in the Indies, in Indonesia okay. area. They had there on that island. They had two children: Norma John, um, and Louise Louise Jean McLeod. So Norma okay. John Norma John McLeod and Louise Jean McLeod. Despite the hope in her heart, our heroine was not to have the happy life that she so dreamed of. And that you probably, yeah, you probably guessed she wasn't going to have. I mean, yeah, but I still hoped. (laughs) Yeah. Her marriage was a nightmare. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you found him in the newspaper. Yeah. McLeod was a severe alcoholic and regularly beat his wife, who (gasps) was, as I stated, 20 years younger than him and whom he blamed for his lack of promotion. Of course. Right. Even more so. To her shame, he openly kept a concubine, which at the time was a socially accepted practice for those who were stationed in the Dutch East Indies. Ooh. Super gross. Yeah. Disenchanted and ashamed, Margrethe abandoned him, instead moving in with another Dutch officer named Van Reeds. Oh, well, that's good at least. During this time, she Or is it? It, it, you'll see. You'll see how it okay. plays out. During this time, she studied the Indonesian traditions intensely for several months and joined a local dance company during that time. Mm-hmm. In correspondence to her relatives in the Netherlands in 1897, she revealed her artistic name of, drumroll, Matahari. Yes! <laughs> do you know Matahari? Yes, I do. I know a little bit about this her. Is her. This is Matahari's story. She was on my list. She was on your list? <laughs> yeah. Listen, we have a... My list is very big, though. <laughs> we have we have a penchant for girls gone bad. We do. We really do. We really do. They're the fun ones. They are. They have such insane stories that need to be told okay tell me all about her okay matahari translates to eye of the day in the local malay language so okay the locals dubbed her matahari which means eye of the day pretty soon she she became one with the community uh, fully accepted by them eating drinking reveling with them in their celebrations Uh, however at mcleed's urging she eventually did return to him oh. in the hopes that he would change. I hope she kills him. You know what happened? Femme fatale. No. no his behavior happened. His behavior did not change. Of course not. Despite her hope. It never does. She escaped at least mentally by studying ex- extensively the local culture and the dances, seamlessly blending in with the locals. Eventually, however, after suffering extensive abuse and a considerably horrible STD, Matahari, as she would forever be known, had had enough. In 1899, their children fell violently ill from complications relating to the treatment of syphilis. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Contracted from their parents, where where it is suspected McLeod got 
from his concubine. Or some other woman he slept with. Yeah. Honestly, could have been anything. Mm-hmm. Family, however, claimed they were poisoned by an irate servant. Oh. So Jean survived. I don't think you can be poisoned to get syphilis, though. No. No. <laughs> Jean survived the treatment for syphilis, but Norman did not. And he did die at only two years old. Oh, um, baby. Some sources maintain that the McLeod's enemies may have poisoned a supper to kill both of their children, though no proof was ever found of this. Hmm. Why would they have enemies anyway? Um, McLeod was a douche. Oh, okay. Uh, he made a lot of enemies. He made okay, so a lot okay. of enemies. Okay, I wasn't sure if, like, he was, like, in politics or something like that or... Nope. In fact, he really he was just he, a bad guy. He really wanted to be. Yeah. Okay. It was just an office. I mean, he really wanted to to raise in the ranks, but right. this is an, again one of the reasons he blamed Matahari because right. you know another it's her fault. It's her fault. It's her fault. Mm-hmm. I wanted a wife who would raise me up. Yeah, you brought me down. Mm-hmm. So after moving back to the Netherlands, the couple officially separated on August thirtieth, nineteen o two. The divorce became final in nineteen o six. So how long were they married before they separated? Not very long. They married in 1895 and they were separated in 1902. So they were married about seven years. Yeah. The divorce was final in 1906 where Zell was awarded custody of Jean. Good. While McLeod was legally required to pay support. Oh, wait, no. She got custody. Okay. Yeah, she got custody of Jean. While McLeod was legally required to pay support, he, of course, did not. Obviously. uh, Making life very difficult for Zell and her daughter. Of course. During a visit Jean had with her father, McLeod decided not to return Jean to her mother. (gasps) What? He kidnapped her? As is always the true tragedy of these stories, there was no way for her to fight him. You see, Zell did not have any resources nor money to take back her daughter. She simply had to hope that she would be okay. After all, while McLeod had been an abusive husband, he had always been a good father, according to Zell. And while that may have been true, tragedy was never far from our girl. Of course. Jean later died at the age of 21, possibly from complications relating to the syphilis. Oh. Now, most women in her situation would have remarried, at the very least, um, for financial stake. But Zell, she had had enough. She was to take back her life and live it by her terms. No one else's. So was this all, was this after her daughter died or before her daughter died? This happened during her daughter's sickness. Um, Her daughter hasn't died yet in these next coming parts. I do mention it at some point. Okay. But bear with me. The timeline that I got from Wikipedia and History.com was jumbled up. So I had to kind of filter through Mm -hmm. um, and put things in the timeline of me telling a story versus reading an article. Right. Uh huh. Um, So while her daughter did live a few more years in the custody of her father, she was Mm -hmm. also very ill the entire time. Oh, poor girl. And not much is known about her daughter, just just from the story that Matahari tells. Right. Okay. Our girl, she wanted a life run by nobody else but her, with Mm -hmm. no no rules, uh, no abuse, and no shame. That's all we all, that's all anyone wants. That's That's all we want. So she did what she thought would get her 
the life that she wanted. She moved to Paris in 1903 on a mission. She was on a mission. Quickly and with ease, Zell managed to get a gig where she performed as a circus horse rider using the name Lady McLeod, much to the disapproval of the Dutch McLeods. <laughs> I love that. It was a very spiteful. Like an F you. Yeah, I liked it. I was like, yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah, girl. Still, though, she was struggling to earn a living. She then also posed as an artist model. Circus acts and art modeling wasn't enough. No. Never is. Never is. By 1904, Matahari began to win fame as an exotic dancer. Oh, oh la la. I know. This is like my, this is just, it's, I can almost picture it in my mind's eye. <laughs> Especially because of 1904, like 1904. What does an exotic dancer even look like in 1904? Good thing you asked. I'm going to send you pictures. Uh, it's it's not as conservative as you think it would have been oh that's good promiscuous flirtatious and openly flaunting her sometimes near nude body matahari captivated her audiences and was overnight a success from the debut of her act at the gimmick gimmick i'm gonna say gimmick on march 13th 1905 yes girl here is where she caught the eye and heart of one emilia etienne gimmick an industrialist millionaire. Ooh, that's what I want. He was also, conveniently, the founder of the Musée, uh, which is the location that she danced at. Right, like the theater or whatever. The club or whatever it is. And he quickly sought her for his own, but Ooh. she wouldn't She wouldn't be pinned down by She's one like, person. She's like, been there, done that, no thank you. No thank you. I mean, we'll still have, like, fuck dates and all, but, like... We're, we're not doing commitment here this is that song you don't own me that's when that comes on yes 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 you don't own me so while at this point i've got immense respect for matahari she does do some questionable things by our 21st century standards however understand this is 1904 and she had her own life to live and she was an entertainer and performer. So take everything that I'm about to say with a grain of salt. Okay, I'm ready. She posed as a Javanese princess of priestly Hindu birth, pretending to have been immersed in the art of sacred Indian dance since childhood. Ooh. She was photographed numerous times during this period, nude or nearly so. And some of these pictures were obtained by McLeod. These, unfortunately, strengthened his case in keeping custody of their daughter. Of course. Before her passing. We can't have a fallen woman be a mother. Oh, no. Her breasts. <laughs> she has them. <laughs> that's funny because that's going to come up later. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matahari brought a wildly carefree and provocative style to the stage in her act. This garnered wide acclaim. The most celebrated segment of her act was... As you guessed it, her progressive shedding of clothes until she wore Ooh. just a jeweled breastplate and some ornaments upon her arms and head. She yeah, girl. Yeah, girl. Yeah. She shaking it out for everybody. Was she shaking it like a Polaroid picture, though? Like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> like it, like a like one of those glass glass original plate pictures. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> She was, however, never seen bare-breasted, as she was immensely self-conscious about having smaller breasts. Oh, yeah. Now there are there's some photos, and you know 
but she preferred not to be bare-breasted in her acts on stage. She was pretty self-conscious about it. Oh, But everything else, she was like, yeah, let it hang out. <laughs> oh, here I am. Behold. The glory. Um, We would later know this as a peep show or a burlesque show. Yes. Some of the funnest shows to be at. <laughs> Although Matahari's claims about her origins were fictitious, it was very common for entertainers of her era to invent colorful stories about their origins as a part of the show. Oh, yeah. They wanted uh, to seem more exotic than they were. Yeah, and I kind of figured, like, Homegirl spent so much time in the culture, living it out, being a part of it, that she she took what she knew. She came to a country that didn't know anything about it. Right. And she ran with it. Yeah, she saw an opportunity. And also, like, I'm gonna cut her break. She, she's been through enough. She's been through some shit. Yeah. A little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So her act was obviously successful because it elevated exotic dance to a more respectable status, which super fucking cool. <laughs> and it also broke new ground in a style of entertainment for which Paris was later to become world famous for, meaning the burlesque show and the, the Moulin more, Rouge. Uh, Moulin Rouge, exactly. It also makes so, me think of Cora Pearl. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. I wish these two would get together. That would be so fun. Oh my God. Could you imagine? Can you imagine a night out on the town <laughs> with them? How we wouldn't even survive. We wouldn't survive no. tonight. Nope. Nope. So her style and free willed attitude made her a very, very popular woman, as did her eagerness to perform in exotic and revealing clothing. See, she loved it. She <laughs> she she was so into this and immersed in it and soaked up this risque on the border, almost across the line type of attitude. Like this was her place to be. That was her comfort zone. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes, man, you just want to be naked. I get it. (laughs) Sometimes you want to be naked for a crowd. I get it. I won't do it, but I get it. I never want to be naked for a crowd. (laughs) I don't know. I I feel like if you paid me enough. (laughs) (laughs) She, She posed for provocative photos and mingled in wealthy circles. Since most Europeans at the time were unfamiliar with the Dutch East Indies, Matahari was thought of as exotic, and it was assumed her claims were genuine. Because, of course, how who's going right. to question her? Who's going to question it? Right. Homegirl got a tan and everything. <laughs> One evidently enthused French journalist wrote in a Paris newspaper that Matahari was, quote, this is so funny. So feline, extremely feminine, majestically tragic, the thousand curves and movements of her body trembling in a thousand rhythms. The way you read it made it even better. I love majestically (laughs) tragic. I feel like that's my life. Is that not like the most absurdly poetic? Oh, I'm just majestically tragic. I really like the thousand curves and movements of a body trembling in a thousand rhythms. Yes, that is amazing. I just imagine her twerking. <laughs> what if that was what she was doing? Yep, that's that was her that was her progressive dance move was twerking. Uh, I don't have my inhaler up here. It's fine. I'm alive. <laughs> like all good things, this too must end. Oh man. I know. Matahari. But it's so fun. No. Well, <laughs> Matahari's career went into decline after 1912. On March 13th, 1915, 
she performed in what would be her last show of her career. She had, mm-hmm. of course, begun her career relatively late for a dancer and had the tale t- telltale signs of age and wear. Oh, no. Oh, no. She is growing old. <laughs> but was your girl out of the game? No. No, sweet child. Did she change the game? Her story was only now starting to get interesting. Oh, feel like it's already been pretty interesting (laughs) by this time she had become a successful courtesan known more her for sensuality and eroticism than for her beauty Mm. she had relationships with high-ranking military officers of course politicians and others in influential positions in many countries her relationships and liaisons with powerful men frequently took her across international borders oh I see where this is going. Do you see where this is going? I do, I do. Yeah, girl. Prior to World War I, she was generally viewed as an artist and a free-spirited bohemian. But as war approached, she began to be seen by some as a wanton. Wanton. Oh my god, I said wanton. (laughs) (laughs) I read it. And I read it in my brain, right? And then I said it wrong. Yep. Wanton. It's funny. We had wontons for lunch. (laughs) That's why. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Wontons. Um, She began to be seen by some as a wanton and promiscuous woman and perhaps a dangerous seductress. Oh, God forbid. God forbid a woman like to fuck. Anything but that. Oh, no. Oh, dear heavens. That's how I think all people talked at that point in time. Yes, definitely. So uh, what do we know about World War One? at least regarding your girl? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a pro. I don't know much about World War One. also because it's depressing as fuck. But yeah, I-, I don't know much about World War One. No. I know a lot about World War Two. I do. You know what's weird is I think I know more about World War Two than any other. Well, that one was kind of worse. Yeah. Yeah. I do know in World War One they were still using like hor- horses and swords. Mm. I mean, they were using guns too, but like they still had horses and swords, so that's kind of weird. Yeah, they had tanks though too. They did. What a time! Mm-hmm. What a terrifying, <laughs> terrifying time. Yes. Uh, during World War One, so I'm gonna lay it out for you at least how this is gonna go for our Matahari. Okay, tell me. So. During World War One, the Netherlands remained neutral. And as a Dutch subject... We know that from... Oh, from the... Uh, Aimu. Aimu. We, did, we have done a couple Netherlands stories. I don't know. Anyway. His name was Aimu. Yes. So they remained neutral. Right. And as a D- Dutch subject... Oh, we're referring to an earlier episode. Go listen. <laughs> as a Dutch subject, Zell was thus able to cross national borders freely. To avoid the battlefields, she traveled between France and the Never- Netherlands via Spain and Britain for her various... I love... I'm sorry. I just... I love how you keep almost saying Neverland. I... It is so hard. <laughs> I want to go to Neverland so bad. Neverland. <laughs> what the fuck? Neverland. <laughs> yeah, I want to... I want to take my vacation in the Neverlands. <laughs> I gotta pop over to Neverland. You ever heard? Of, you ever heard of Neverland? Never Neverland. It's just the south side of the creek. That's all. Second, second star to the right and straight on till morning. I'm disgusted with myself. 
shut up. <laughs> she she traveled between France and the Netherlands. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Via Spain and Britain for her various hookups and lovers, those of which Ooh. were, as stated, high-ranking military officials and politicians. <laughs> I'm laying some really thick hints out, guys. I'm picking up on them. I hope so. This is how I flirt, too. But I'm just waiting for the story. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Am I not moving fast enough for you? No, I mean, I'm just, I'm letting you you tell me the story instead of guessing. Are you engrossed? I am. I'm glad. So keep going. I worked almost hard on this. <laughs> so <laughs> eventually her movements inevitably attracted some attention. Of course. During the war, Zell Matahari was also involved in what was described as a very intense romantic sexual relationship with a Russian pilot serving with the French, a 23-year-old Captain Vadmin Maslov, whom she called the love of her life. Aww. In the summer of 1916, Maslov was unfortunately <gasps> shot down and badly wounded during a dogfight with the Germans, oh, no. losing sight in both of his eyes. Aww. Yeah, this this was tough enough because, like I said, she she'd not loved anybody before, and she claimed that he was the love of her life. He was the only one that she had ever truly loved, right? And she deserves to love someone. She deserves it, man. This led Zell to ask for permission to visit her wounded lover at the hospital where he was staying near the front. As a citizen of a neutral country, Zell would not normally be allowed near the front. However, but... this is where shit be popping. <laughs> Zell was met by agents from the Duomi. Duomi? I, I don't know how to pronounce this, guys. I'm so sorry. It's D-E-U-X-I. What's the E with a thing above it? An E with a thing above it. <laughs> M-E. <laughs> Bureau. Maybe it's Dumay? Dumay? I don't know. Maybe. Dumay sounds more French, and this is hella French. Okay. Um, Zell was met by agents from the Dumay Bureau, who told her that she would only be allowed to see Maslov if she agreed to spy for France. Ooh. But why her? Why a courtesan and dancer? Because of her lovers. So you see, exactly. Before the war, Zell had performed as Matahari several times before the crown prince Wilhelm, oh. eldest son of Kaiser Wilhelm II, and not nominally a senior German general of the Western Front. Ooh, interesting. I know, the plot thickens. <laughs> so, so the Dumay Bureau offered Zell one million francs if she could seduce him and provide France with good intelligence about German plans or military secrets. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She, of course, quickly agreed. Right. And was like, million francs and I could see my boy. Okay. Yeah. Easiest job ever. In November of 1916, she was traveling by steamer boat from Spain when her ship called at the British port of Falmouth. There, she was arrested and brought to London. it's Falmouth. Falmouth? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know how to fucking say that word, but not any <laughs> of the other words. <laughs> when it's British, I, I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me say it again. Her ship was called at the British port Falmouth. There you go. There, she was arrested and brought to London, where she was interrogated at length by Sir Basil Thompson, assistant Ooh. commissioner of the new Scotland Yard in charge of counter-espionage. 
Ooh. There's just Yikes. a lot of like really fun titles in this story. There are. I just feel like I, I need to give them some oomph. We need some fun titles for ourselves. We do. I want to be Sir Basil Thompson. <laughs> I, by that, I mean Assistant Commissioner at New Scotland Yard and Tart of Counter Espionage. One title. Whole thing. Okay. Okay. That's your title. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> I also like the name Sir Basil, so like I have an uncle named Basil. Do you really? Yeah, but sometimes in British, they in Britain they say Basil. Ooh, oh, I kind of mm-hmm. like Basil. Yeah, they're both fun. Okay, you can call me Sir Lady Basil, Assistant <laughs> Commissioner of New Scotland Yard in charge of the counter espionage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't wait. <laughs> that's that's your pet name for me. Yes, um, Sir Basil. <laughs> You have to say the whole thing. I can't even remember the whole thing. <laughs> Sir Lady Basil, Assistant Commissioner of New Scotland Yard in charge of counter espionage. Sir Lady Basil, Commissioner of Scotland. Assistant, Assistant of, Commissioner of New Scotland. Commissioner of Scotland Lock, Scotland Yard and counter espionage. <laughs> I almost fell off my BOSU ball. <laughs> okay. Whew. Yes, that's. That's what you call me. All the time. <laughs> way back. Goes way back. <laughs> yep. Way before this story. Definitely before two minutes ago. I needed a, I needed a hearty chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> so Matahari, because she's smart as fuck, quickly spilled her beans. She wanted nothing to do with the French and their spy games. Oh. Because of this, she was released and sent on her lonely way. This woman, this girl... This bitch. She got a taste of excitement that was both dangerous and wild. And it paid very, very well. She had nothing to lose. Obviously, at this point, her daughter died. Her ex-husband was out to ruin her. She lost everything. Her dancing career because apparently she got too old. And you know, when you're old, you can't dance anymore. No, not not if your your skin wrinkles god forbid right 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 right. not if you're like 40 she literally she she had nothing to lose and was there for the ultimate wild card yes so hmm, in late 1916 i know this is a lot of dates guys but just bear with me we'll and we're good yeah it's fine you you get the drift um in 1916 zell traveled to madrid where she met with the German military attaché, Major Arnold Kale, and asked if he could arrange a meeting with the crown prince. During this period, Zell apparently offered to share French secrets with the Germany in exchange for money. Oh. Though, whether this was because of greed or an attempt to set up a meeting with the crown prince remains unclear. You see, was it sabotage? Was it... Was it, was she a double agent? Some people, in fact, the majority of people these days now believe that she was still trying to play with the French, to work with the French, to get the crown prince Wilhelm to give her German secrets. Listen, I have seen Alias, okay? I know how espionage works. Mm, girl. I'm an expert. You're a pro. You are a spy. Yeah. We're not supposed to say that out loud. No, you can't tell people that. You have to stop telling people that, Amber. <laughs> I'm not the spy. I mean, Sir Lady Basil. Sir La- that's our. That's my code name. That's my spy name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my spy name. Everybody who listens to this, watch out. Watch your backs. 
Um, not from me, obviously, from the man. Right, 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 right. Just the man. It's always the man. So her games and playing both sides and not really seeming to align with one way or the other, at least on the surface, led her to becoming fully engaged in the acts of spy war. Yes. In January of 1917, Major Kale transmitted radio messages to Berlin describing the helpful activities of a German spy, codenamed H-21. Not Sir Lady Basil. Not Sir Lady Basil. This biography of the spy so closely matched Zell's that it was patently obvious that Agent H-21 could only be Matahari. Oh. Unfortunately, the Dumay Bureau intercepted the messages and... From the information they contained, identified H-21 as Matahari. The messages were in code that German intelligence knew had already been broken by the fronts, suggesting that the messages were contrived to have Zell arrested by the French. You see, the Germans didn't trust her either, so they sent out messages that they knew the French would break, making it obvious that the agent was Matahari. Maybe she's just not really that good of a spy. Nobody believes her. We're going to get into it, okay? She keeps trying and nobody believes her. And then she gets questioned by the British and she's just like, yup, listen, I'm a spy for France. Yeah, see? (laughs) Oh, it's so confusing. Um, She needed to watch Alias. She needed to watch Alias. She needed to learn from Sydney Bristow. Okay, listen to the rest of these shenanigans. This is is nonsense. General Walter Nikolai, the chief intelligence officer of the German army, had grown very annoyed that Matahari had provided him with no intelligence worthy of the name, instead selling the Germans Paris gossip about the sex lives of French politicians and generals. Because of course she would. Right. She wasn't a spy. No. Ugh. She was a courtesan. She wanted money. And if they were going to give yeah. her money for talking gossip, sweet. She'll she'll play whatever side she needs. So they decided, the Germans decided to terminate her employment by exposing her as a German spy to the French. Oh, no. So here's how this shit went down. You ready? No, but yes. In December 1916, the second bureau of the French War Ministry let Matahari, like they gave, you know, secretively, Matahari, Six names of Belgian agents. Five were suspected Mm -hmm. of submitting fake material and working for the Germans, while the sixth was suspected of being a double agent for Germany and France. Two weeks after Matahari had left Paris for a trip to Madrid, the double agent was executed by Germans, while the five others continued their operations. This development served as proof to the Second Bureau that the names of the six spies had been communicated by Matahari to the Germans. Uh-oh. So they were like, well, shit, she is a spy. Yeah. So she's a double agent. Double agent. At, at the very least. Yeah. Maybe a triple agent. I don't know. Or just a girl who wants money. Well, I think that's it, but. <laughs> On February 13th, 1917, Matahari was arrested in her room at the Hotel Elysee palace on the Champs-Élysées something like that the Hotel Élysée palace on the Champs-Élysées in Paris she was put on trial on July 24th accused of spying for Germany and consequently causing the death of at least this is nonsense causing the death of at least 50,000 soldiers (laughs) 
Okay. Although the French and British intelligence suspected her of spying for Germany, neither could produce definitive evidence against her. Right. Now, supposedly there was secret ink found in her room, which was incriminating evidence in that period. She contended, however, that it was part of her makeup. Mm. During her trial, she is quoted as saying, when they bring up this ink, A harlot? Yes. But a traitress? Never. <laughs> Zell's principal interrogator, who grilled her relentlessly, was Captain Pierre Bouchardon. Oh. He was later the, to prosecute her at trial. Now, this was a terrible time to be on trial for treason. And more so as a spy. It was made doubly worse by her being a woman and thricely worse by her career. Yes. For context, having one supposed German spy on whom everything that went wrong with the war so far could be blamed was the most convenient for the French government. Of course. Making Mata Hari the perfect scapegoat. It's not like they did anything wrong. And it explains why the case against her received maximum publicity in the French press and led to her importance in the war being greatly exaggerated. Right. Zell wrote several letters to the Dutch ambassador in Paris, claiming her innocence. She's quoted as saying in, in these letters, My international connections are due of my work as a dancer, nothing else. But I really did not spy. It is terrible that I cannot defend myself. End quote. The most terrible and heartbreaking moment for Matahari during the trial occurred when her lover Maslov, by now a deeply embittered man as a result of losing his eyes in combat, declined Aww. to testify for her, telling her that he did not care if she was convicted or not. Aww. It was reported that Zell fainted when she learned that Maslov had abandoned Aww. her. Poor woman. Her defense counsel, veteran international lawyer Edward Clunet, faced impossible odds. He was denied permission to either cross-examine the prosecution's witnesses or to examine his own witnesses directly. How is that even legal? At this point, it was, especially for treason. And that's bananas. Um, Bouchardon used the very fact that Zell was a woman as evidence of her guilt, saying... Without scruples, accustomed to making use of men, she is the type of woman who was born to be a spy. Of course. Now, this is disgusting. It's absolutely atrocious how she was treated. But to be fair, she played the sides, but she she didn't she played for herself. Right. She was out for number one in a world that didn't care about her, who was never for her. So she did what she had to do. Right. Her trial, not fair. Everything that she was put through, not fair. Matahari herself admitted under interrogation to taking money to work as a German spy. It is contended by some historians that Matahari may have merely accepted money from the Germans without actually carrying out any spy duties. Well, yeah, she was just telling French gossip. Exactly. She was a woman of opportunity and quick, sometimes reckless choices. Yeah. In the end, she lost her trial. Mm, I'm not surprised at all. But her death would be as glorious of a show as her life. Oh. Zell was executed by a firing squad of 12 French soldiers just before dawn on October 15th, 1917. She was 41 years old. Ugh. According to an eyewitness account by British reporter Henry Wales, she would not be bound. 
and she had vehemently refused a blindfold. As the guns were raised and the priest finished his words, Mata Hari defiantly blew a kiss to the firing squad. (laughs) Of course she did. Her execution is still mourned and celebrated to this day. So, let me tell you about afterwards. First off, what a badass way to go. If you're going to go, go with a show. Right. She knew how to appease a crowd, and she wasn't going to go simpering and sad. Right. I mean, she knew there was no way she could get out of it. She'd accept no. it. She she was doing what she needed to do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we can look back and say, like, her trial was a fucking shit show. It was a sham. Oh, and yeah. Absolutely. If she'd given any actual workable information to the Germans, I could see why they would have means to execute her. But from what evidence we have, she just, she wasn't doing that. In fact, in October 2001, Documents released from the archives of the M15 British counterintelligence agencies were used by a Dutch group called the Matahari Foundation to ask the French government to exonerate Zell as they argued that the M15 files proved that she was not guilty of the charges that she was convicted of. Hmm. A spokesperson from the Matahari Foundation argued that most of Zell, that at most, Zell was a low-level spy who provided no secrets to either side, stating, We believe that there are sufficient doubts concerning the dossier of information that was used to convict her to warrant reopening the case. Maybe she wasn't entirely innocent, but it seems clear she wasn't the master spy whose information sent thousands of soldiers to the death, as have been claimed. End quote. Canadian historian Wesley Wark stated in 2014 interview that Mata Hari was never an important spy and just made a scapegoat for French military failures, which she had nothing to do with, stating, quote, they needed a scapegoat and she was a notable target for scapegoating, end quote. Yeah, it sounds like she was just a scapegoat. I mean, it sounds like she made she made some bad decisions obviously yeah but at the time you could you could kind of see how she would think that they were good decisions right or not good but necessary i don't think she realized just how much trouble she would get in and also if she did get in trouble that it would be treason and all the rules are kind of thrown out the window at that point yeah i mean also she i i feel like maybe she did know the severity of it but as a woman with nothing i didn't care yeah it's yeah. literally YOLO. Yeah. Literally YOLO. Yeah, just like, yeah, whatever. If this works, it works. And she was a woman who had grown accustomed to a lavish lifestyle right. of praise and, you know, love being thrust upon her. And, you know, losing her career as an exotic dancer, she needed to replace that with, you know, a different type of funding and in walked the Germans and yeah. walked the French. So She's like, it just fell in my lap. Yeah. So, likewise, the British historian Julie Wheelwright stated, quote, She really did not pass on anything that you couldn't find in the local newspapers in Spain. End quote. <laughs> Wheelwright went on to describe Zell as an independent woman, a divorcee, a citizen of a neutral country, a courtesan, and a dancer, which made her a perfect scapegoat for the French, who were then losing the war. She was kind of held up as an example of what might happen if your morals were too loose. Right. So this was the story, tragic and not so, of the femme fatale, the woman of the world, Mata Hari. I like that. 
Did you learn something different? I learned a lot. I really didn't know much about her. I just knew she was a spy. Yeah, but not re- I mean, if she was, she was a real shit spy. Yeah, she, she's a pretty bad spy. Yeah, I mean, she could have been like a real garbage spy or she could have been like not even attempting to be a spy and just... Yeah, I don't think she was even a trying to be a spy. Yeah, I think she was just like, oh, you're going to give me a million dollars? Yeah, if I tell you something. Because, I mean, like, even just how she's, like, just telling, like, the French gossip and stuff like that. Like, that's it's clear that that has nothing to do with the war. Yeah, and I think it's funny how the gossip that she did give them was just, like, sex secrets. Yeah. (laughs) Like... She knows her market. Mm-hmm. She knows what she do. Mm-hmm. I know this was a little bit longer than our last few episodes. This was an hour long. Well, our um, last ones were pretty short, so it's okay. And we've been gone yeah. for a couple weeks. That's true. That's true. This was a heavy one. This was one that I've I've wanted to do for a while, but I've I haven't done it just because it would. It's a lot of info dump. Yeah, I really didn't know that much about her at all. Yeah. Like I knew the name, and I knew that it was something about spying and that's really that's really it well now you know she's so real story she's so cool she's also like she's i don't feel like she's elevated into the echelons of like hella spy like she's not black widow level spy no she's just she's just a girl like who had a shit life and then kind of took advantage of what was offered to her because the french were the ones that were like hey Mm -hmm. spy for us if you yep. if you spy for us, we'll let you see your boyfriend. Yep. And she's like, okay. And then she's like, whoa, how much are you going to pay me? So she yeah. just kind and, of and will the Germans pay me more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is what I'm saying. Is your girl? She's uh, she was working a system that never worked for her. That worked against her actively mm-hmm. most of the time. Right. And she almost got away with it she if it wasn't for it. that pesky prosecutor. Yep. All right. Well, Matahari is celebrated. There's even a statue of her. And I just want everybody to know that she, uh, I believe she was exonerated. Oh, interesting. And now she is sort of known as like a, almost like a martyr for women's rights. Um, I do really like how she blew a kiss at the, at the firing squad. Isn't that just so Matahari? Yes. That's how I want to go out. Like, if, if, if it's ever something like that, I just want to be, like, brave and ballsy like that. I'll remember when next time you are in front of a firing squad. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll remind you. Just shout Don't out. forget. Matahari! This is like, for Matahari! Oh, right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Except next- they'll probably get me, like, right as I'm bringing my, like, my hand up. <laughs> but the intention is there. <laughs> That's all that matters. All right, everybody. This was Into the Rabbit Hole. I hope you learned something. I hope you had fun. I did. On both Good. Yep. That's all that I'm here for. Entertainment. <laughs> Just like Matahari. We are hopefully going to be releasing a couple episodes in the next coming weeks because we want you guys to, uh, we want to give you something to listen to that'll distract you from everything. And distract us. And distract you us. You know, having to do research, that's all nice and distracting, so. Yeah. And then editing is nice and fun. Just, you know, being out of our own heads. We're here, guys. Uh, This is a really great time to promote our social networks, including heavily Facebook group. This that's a safe zone, guys. If you need to go there to get away from all that bullshit out there in the world, go there. Instagram. Yes. Our Facebook is just into the rabbit hole podcast. We have a page Uh and a group. 
like she said. And then our Instagram and Twitter both are um, rabbit hole underscore pod. And though I do, I will say I tend to post on Instagram more than Twitter because I just don't yeah. get Twitter. We're so old. I know we're we're old. Like I post on it, but I just I don't get it. But if you really want me to use Twitter, I'll do it. Like it's there. We'll, we'll do it for we'll you. For you just you. have to let us know. Yes. And yeah, like message us if you have any topics that you want us to do or anything. Give us a five star rating on iTunes and with a live with a comment. Wait, 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 somebody did. We do did that. have one actually that we were supposed to um comment for. And then we also have a new Patreon. Uh, who's actually a friend of mine. I want to thank the person who listed their name only as, oh my god, I hate this app too. <laughs> Me too. Um, I hate iTunes. <laughs> their comments that if you are looking for a good conversation and great storytelling, then look no further. These girls are just fantastic at talking and getting you sucked into every story. Love them. Capital. Love them. <laughs> well, thank you. I hate I this app too. We love you also. I love you so much. I love you so much. Guys, we really appreciate this. Every time we get a comment or a review, we send it to each other. We it screenshot each other. And we get, like for hours, yes. for hours. It literally just, makes our ugh, day. Oh, so much better. Yeah. So I don't want to bore you anymore. That was our story. Oh. Kenzie's going to be up next with her sweet ass story. Yep. 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 And uh, okay, guys. Yeah. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.